You're listening to Live Law, real stories about the law told live. I'm Nancy Mullane. This week's story is from Clemmie Greenlee. Clemmie says she was born with three strikes against her. She was born black, born a girl, and born to two alcoholic parents. But she was determined to make her way in the world, and she did in the most unbelievable way. Here's Clemmie. When I was born, I had three strikes against me and uh, never played baseball, never played. My three, my three strikes was I was born a girl, born black, and born two alcoholic uh, parents. I was doomed then. I knew I was. But for some reason, it was something in me, maybe come from my ancestors that I don't know about. I, I think I had a strong, great, great, great grandmother. I really do. Yeah, I'll give her a hand, whoever she was. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, I, uh, I, I ran into the word law when I was 12 years old. I knew then I was going to be the type to speak up for people because I couldn't speak up for myself for a long time because of all the things that was happening to me when I was little and dirty old men's doing stuff to me that I couldn't take care of myself, and I couldn't take up for myself, and I couldn't speak up for myself, and I was so angry, and I held that in for a long time, and so when I was 12 years old, I would always hang around older ladies, and um, the police would always come to our neighborhood, so I remember when I was 12, they was coming to our neighborhood, so that means they've been picking with us for a long time, come think about it. So I, so anyway, we'd be out in the yard, and they'd be out there drinking their beer and in their yard playing cards, this game called Five Up they used to play. But the police would come and just get out of the car and just run up there and just go to them and just grab all of their beer and just pour it out and kick over the chairs and all that. So this one lady, she got fed up with it because it come like every Saturday. She got fed up with it. So this time she decided to stand up to them and block her beer. She wasn't going to let that might That might have been her last two dollars she wasn't finna give it up so she so she was trying to stand there and, and block up beer and they were just throwing her out of the way and so they just came and just snatched her and just threw her up against the wall and had a hand all up against her uh, back where it was almost touching her neck and she was just crying and screaming and so out of nowhere I just ran up to that police and just snatched them and he's like Oh, so you love her that much? You going to jail. So he threw me up against the wall and did me the same way, but he allowed the back of my hand touch my neck. So when he got my arm and my elbow and all that up there, the next thing I know, my leg kicked, you know, that little reflex. <laughs> you know how they do you at the doctor, they hit your little knee and knock the shit out of them. So. So I said, so they got me and handcuffed me and took me to jail and charged me with assault and battery, uh, disorderly conduct, all kind of stuff. I was 12. So I was like, hold up. Um, But he did this to this lady, blah, blah, blah. And from that day on, I never stopped going to jail. From, I'm serious. I never stopped. That's why at the end they can say I've been arrested over 100 times. Well, I started at 12. So would you, would you imagine? So it was like after that, 
uh, I was just so rebellious. I was so angry because how could they take me to jail? Why nobody come and got me out? And why wouldn't nobody listen to me? And why the probation, the judge, the juvenile court didn't even want to hear me because of my alcoholic family? Because I didn't have nobody to speak up for me. Why you didn't send a social uh, worker in there? Why didn't you send somebody in there to speak up for me? I'm 12. So then that means if they didn't come for me, then all of those other kids that was already in there, I'm like, good Lord, all y'all in here and they crying and they scared and they all colors. And I'm like, how long you been in here? I'm not going to get out. Well, he the one started it. He came in our yard and started pouring out my parents' beer. So you telling me all of y'all been, I'm talking about a bunch of us. And that was scary to me because we was kids. So at, eventually my drunk father made it up here and how they gave him to meet, meeting him, I don't know. But thank you. Um, he got me out. But again, remember, y'all, I was so rebellious that I would just run out of the house and leave. And I ended up running out of the house like late at night. And I got picked up. And I got picked up by some guys, some men that I would call in a big black car. Well, today, I know it was a big black limousine. And that pickup took my life to a whole nother turn, guys. It took me to a life of abuse, sex, sex trafficking, rape, all kind of stuff. Back and forth in juvenile again. I went in juvenile so many times trying to run from these predators that I still didn't get anybody to hear me. Look at here. These men done took me. They got me in this basement. It's other girls in this basement. They tied up. They taped up. They drugged up. Nobody still would hear me. And I was like, hold up. I'm, I'm 12. I'm 13. I'm 14. Then I come. And I come up with a baby. So I'm 13. I got to What the hell is this? Somebody tell me. How, what, how did this happen? What you mean something in my belly? What, what's going on? No one still comes. And this is why I fight and do what I do right today for my young kids. Because I was angry, y'all. So, <laughs> so, so as I go on, I went through all this misery. I just went through misery. It just was crazy. Uh, not only did I have the kid, I didn't know nothing about the kid. Got, uh, had the kid and then got taken back to the streets again. Ended up on drugs real bad because of the sex trafficking, uh, alcoholism. Ended up homeless. Ended up in the street 10 years, 10 to 15 years, just out there. Uh, got stabbed. Had my head cut off. Just quite face, just, just mangered. Ran over by a car. Went in the program, tried to get some help. Had a cask all on my arm. So I was like, dang. So what made me mad when I got stabbed and I was in intensive care when I woke up? I was like, oh, I'm, I'm in heaven. I'm in some other world. Thank you, Jesus. But who I see? My drunk-ass daddy. <laughs> so I knew I wasn't dead. I knew I was like, wait a minute. I, I, not only is he always following me, drunk or not, I can't die. So now, either I'm the bionic woman or this person everybody called God truly got something for me. So now, as I get out of that intensive care thing, I went through a little more. I didn't, I didn't clean up then. I didn't really clean up until, because the homeless taught me a lot. They taught me a lot on that street. Uh, I had to learn how to live and survive. 
you're too ashamed to go back to your family, and then some of your family don't even want you anyway because they are ashamed of what then happened to you. So I, uh, I, was, I was found by a young lady named Regina Mullins. I always will call her name. And I was 42 years old, and she came and told me, she said, Clemmy, it's a program called the Magdalene Program in Nashville, Tennessee. She said it deals with everything that we went through from prostitution, drugs, sex trafficking, just that lifestyle. And I want to take you to it. I said, I am 42 years old. Who is going to show me how to do it? And no education. Y'all didn't hear me say nothing about school. No education. When he said something about the ninth grade, I'm like, she at least she made the ninth. I don't even remember the third. So, you know, so I'm just like, oh, my goodness. I don't even want to say nothing. But I, um, 42 years old, and I was like, man, shh. But supposing it is some help. Supposing I can learn something. So I, I'm, 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 I'm drunk. I'm junky. I'm homeless. I'm weighing about 60 pounds. Her hair falling out. I'm just, my mom used to say I was um, a skeleton with a piece of meat thrown over it. That's how little and just how deaf eating crackles I looked. And so I was thinking, because of all these girls that I kept seeing, every time I go to jail, the same people in there, all the girls that kept being found in houses, in the trunk of cars, under the couches, stuffed in cabinets, which I was going to be next. So I kept saying, why nobody saving us? And then it was said to me, nobody's going to save you. You the one got to step out and save them. And so I asked her, I said, come and get me, come and get me. I, I want to go, I want to go, I'm, 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 I don't want no more dope, I don't want no more nothing. You got drugs, you got my brother, you got men's waiting with money, you got all of that. So she came, and I got up, and I said, I'm going to get some help, and I'm coming back and get y'all. And the first thing they holler with, oh, she's smoking some good shit. Talking about she going to get some help. And so they didn't believe me, they didn't. So I, so I left, I got in the car. I got in the car with her and I left and I pulled off and, and she pulled off and I was crying and I was like, I don't know why, why I get this life out crying. She said, Clem, I promise you can just go do these two years. After this, you're going to lose. I said, whoa, hold up. Two years? You ain't say nobody know two years. I've been, been doing prison life all my life. I don't want to do no more years. She said, Clem, I promise you, if you just do this, I promise you it'll change your whole life. And so when I got in there, the lady came up to me was a priest. And I said, oh, Lord, have mercy. A priest. And all I've been hearing is the priest been doing this and been doing that to little boys. And I'm like, oh, Lord, I just can't. I'm wrong no more. I can't do it no more. I just can't. I'm tired. I'm 42. I'm old. And, um, and she was like, no, my child. So she rushed out and grabbed me, guys. And what changed my life is the lady gave me a hug before she gave me a bath. And that changed my whole entire life. Yeah. It changed my whole life. So I went and I worked hard and I learned and I listened and I zipped my mouth up. Believe it or not, it was hard. I did it. And I didn't look back. So when I finished that two-year program, the only thing I wanted to do, go get my son, show him now how to live, because he done followed my footsteps. I hadn't been there. He done followed my footsteps. I want to go get him. And then I'm going to go hit the streets, and I'm going to do some of these homeless people, and I'm going to save them. So I go look for my son, and um, it was already late, too late. He was already on drugs. He was already out there. It was, I was out of the program six months when I got a phone call that my son had been gunned down by game member. So I didn't really get to um, I didn't really get to do anything for my son. So I knew he was tall, dark, and handsome. 
like me, just a little short. But uh, I didn't get, really get to do anything for my son, so it, it really gave me a setback. Not to go back on drugs, it didn't do that kind of setback. It just set me back just to see the, the, the uh, cars I would dealt. But once I got there and, and was able to do the funeral and all that stuff, and I looked up, once I got up and turned around and looked back at you guys, and I saw all these people, and so my whole peace came over me. And it was like my son actually knew and touched all these spirits. So when I saw that, I said, there's nothing I could do but go out here and find who killed my son, number one, so I can love on him, teach him, and help his mother. Not lock him up. 50 years and the death penalty is not going to do nothing for him. So that's what I did. I took the journey, hit the streets to find out who killed my son. But never thinking I was going to run into gangs like that. I didn't know what gangs were. So all of them was coming to me trying to give me the name of the person and all that. Want to do something to them. And they was beating up people and shooting up houses. So I had to get back on TV and all of Stop. I didn't say this for nobody started getting hurt. No more blood. So after that, they start coming to me like, Miss Miss G, what can we do? We want to help you. And I'm like, no, I want to help you. This is how this whole thing started me with the gangs. Now, let me see. After I started with the gangs, I said, hold up. I got to go back and get the homeless. So I go back and I fuss. I ain't going to forget about my homeless. So I go back and I fuss about the homeless. And we ended up building a tent city because we didn't have nowhere to live. So we built a tent city. So the police and all the governor and the mayor and all that wanted to tear down. So they came with a big, big bulldozer. Well, I guess you know. I made my blanket right here. And I laid in front of the bulldozer. So it made me get a little publicity on the TV. And so now I was actually in the spotlight for real. And so the second time around, they uh, wanted to tear the tent city down. So I challenged the uh, mayor to come out and spend one night on the street to see how the homeless live. And he did it. Well, he, well, he was getting ready to be voted the mayor. So he had to stay eight hours on the street. So he did it. And guess who was his partner? Mm. And so, <laughs> so when we get there on the street, first thing he want to do, he want to use a cell phone, call his wife. And I said, you better not have a cell phone. You homeless. <laughs> now, he, now, <laughs> now he want a quarter so he can use the phone. You don't, you better not have no money. You homeless. We probably on the corner begging, where's your panhandling tactic at? And so then we walk and he, he complaining, talking about he tired and how long we got. Where we gonna go at? You tired? Then he said. Then the other thing he said. Well, where we gonna eat at? Honey, let me see what this dumps have been emptied yet. <laughs> Look back here. Make sure they ain't emptied it yet, cause that's where we eating at. Then he had nerve asked me where he using the bathroom. Honey, do you see that tree? Where is well? What you gonna use for tissue paper and all that? You got sleeves, don't you? You uh, y'all better understand when I say we homeless. You, you, now you want to know what we feel like and why we angry. So then he didn't really believe me that I was really sincere about my homeless. So I took 250 homeless people and slept in the courtyard and would not leave for three days. Yes, they took me to jail. Yes, I said I finally went to jail doing something right. Yes, I ended up being Nashville, you know, the year, that year because of the homeless. I decided to... Leave the homeless now and go back over here and find out about my son. And this is where sorrows came in at. I've been doing this game all this long. No money, out of my pocket, back on the street like the homeless, begging. Would you say, pay for this, him, pay for that, help me with this, help me with that. And somebody told me about sorrows, and I've never heard of this man, never heard of Adam or Chrissy. And um, 
never even thought about New York because uh, I knew I wasn't going to be making New York, not coming from where I come from. And um, so they, they told me to apply for it. They helped me with it and all that. So they called me, and I said, uh, hello. And they said, yes, this is Christian, your boy. And uh, this is Clement Greenlee. I said, yes, it is. She said, uh, well, your name has been selected for the Sorrows, and we want to fly you to New York. I said, blue cup. And anyway, girl, what was y'all, what was y'all saying, girl? You lying. Ring. I'm like, Hello. Uh, Miss Greenlee, this is Christina Fuff from uh, Soros Foundation. You've been, I said, you need to quit playing with folks and call some damn body else because I ain't got time for all this. Blue goop, hung up again. <laughs> so she called and called the third time and I said, oh shit, she might be telling the truth because they did apply for it. And so she said, she said, <laughs> she said, she said, Miss Greenlee, this is Christina. Don't you hang up that phone. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, so she said, you have actually been selected, and you need to come to Nash, to New York, to tell us why we should select you. So when I heard the word "you," I dropped the phone. I'm running around the house. It's them. It's her. It's true. It's, I'm just screaming. She's all she heard was screaming in the background. So they, so they, um, they flew me up here, and I was up to New York, and I was excited. So after I told them about why I think I should be selected, uh, at first I, I was paranoid. I was looking at all of the computers and the briefcase everybody had and PowerPoints. And I had this little raggedy notebook with the spring sticking out and no pencil and dress something like this. Everybody was shitty shop and they suits and heels. And I was like, oh my God, I don't even know how to even do this. So I come in there trying to read off the paper and, and then she said, well, somebody said, well, what, why do you think we should give you the money? Well, if you, because uh, I'm going to, and then if you try to get, and well, if I, uh, I tell y'all what, can I just start all over and put this paper up because I can't read off this damn paper. If you ask me this question one more time and I'm going to tell you why you give me that money. And baby, when I got to floating, I was floating. And so, <laughs> <laughs> so, so they called me back and gave me the money. First thing I did was went and hired two ex-game members who had been working with me anyway because they're the one that's going to help me go back out there and get the rest of them, which I had already earned my credibility. Well, they gave it to me in 09, and like eight, like eight months later, in 10, first part of 2010, I um, get a phone call at 5 o'clock in the morning because I answer my phone every time somebody calls me. I'm having a fit now because I don't have it up here with my earpiece. Anyway, I get the phone call and they said, Clemmy, your place being raided. And I was like, what you mean? Soon as they said that, my door get kicked in. Windows get broke out and all kind of dogs and helicopters and all kind of stuff coming up in here. Get on the floor, get on the floor. I'm like, what the hell? Then they like, oh, you been raided for gun, uh, gang trafficking, money laundering and, and drug laundering and all of this. And I'm like, hold up. Soros gave me this money. If I had never got this money, they call Chrissy, call Adam. <laughs> Notor notorious nonprofit organization undercover soliciting gang activities. And I'm like, I ain't never had no money. And I told Adam, I said, y'all gave me the money to get raided. <laughs> 
<laughs> so I, uh, and this happened June 2010. So what happened, I, I wasn't able to do anything. That was really on me for 18 months. So within that 18 months, I couldn't do nothing. The gangs wouldn't trust me. People thought I was setting them up. I thought I was going to prison. My brother went to prison. We ain't had handcuffs on us since 2001. And they took the ex-gang member with them, tried to get him 20 years. So I was like laying low. I didn't know what to do. I was just miserable. I was scared. I was, I'm scared to talk to anybody. I don't know who to trust. You, is you wired up? Why are you calling me on the phone asking me these certain questions? Who on the other end? I was paranoid. And all of a sudden, I got a call from New Orleans saying, Clemmy, I think you need to come down here and help us open a house working with sex trafficking victims. I said, what? I don't talk about that side of my story. And I took that call because not only did I want to get out of Nashville, I was scared, I was tired, I was hurt, and I wanted my brother out of prison. And I took that job to New Orleans for 45 days to go and talk about sex trafficking and help them little girls that was caught up. And when I got down there, this 15-year-old girl stole my heart. I ended up in New Orleans for 18 months. I just got home. I've been on six weeks. I have never in my life been so mad at the justice system. I am so pissed off at them, and I am going to continue to fight them, and I thank my God today, and I thank my mom today who's up there with him, that whatever happened and whatever I went through, they put courage in me, and I was not able to give up like I wanted to, and I am glad I am now. I'm standing strong like I am now, and I always say to myself, just like I'm saying to you guys, don't never be new to the game. Always stay true to it. Peace. Clemmie Greenlee told her story at a recent Live Law show in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Be sure to check out our sister podcast, Life of the Law, featuring investigative reports on the law in our lives. In fact, you can help us out by sharing a story about the law in your life. Have you ever been stopped by the police? Were you alone or with friends? Did you know the rules and what to do? Tell us your story. Record yourself using the Voice Memo app on your smartphone and then email it to our team at connect at lifeofthelaw.org. Or you can write out your story and send it to us again in an email at connect at lifeofthelaw.org. You can also give us a call and leave your story on our voicemail, 415-761-1LAW. That's 415-761-1529. Next week on Life of the Law. So when you see tough guys or, or beating people up for no reason, what do you feel like doing? I'll ask you that question. That's next week on Life of the Law. You can hear our feature reports and our live law stories at InfiniteGuest.org, or search for us on your favorite podcast app. Live Law is a production of Life of the Law and is produced by Mary Adkins and Jonathan Hirsch. I'm Nancy Mullane. Thanks for listening.